This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 146. And the quote of the day is from C.S. Lewis, who said, You're never too old to set another goal or to dream a new dream. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast, and this is the first session of 2016, so I want to thank you for joining me. I hope you guys had a great holiday. I hope you had a fantastic New Year's, and I hope you're poised and ready to do something awesome in 2016. So, you know, set yourself up to to get on a plan now of just doing something, doing something different, challenge yourself for, for this year and, and try to accomplish something that you haven't been able to accomplish in the past. Now, this session is brought to you by DW Drums, and I'm happy to announce that DW is going to be sponsoring the podcast for 2016 as well. So I'm extremely grateful that they are willing to contribute to this great cause. And I've been playing DW for years and years, and the reason why is because I I love their drums. They make great handcrafted drums, but they also support drumming initiatives like this podcast and and other things all around the world. So do me a favor. Be sure to thank them on social media or just head over to their website, dwdrums.com, and check out what they got going on. This session is also brought to you by Dream Symbols, and Dream Symbols has a different philosophy than most symbol companies. They have one goal, and that is to make high-quality handcrafted cymbals and gongs and sell them at a really reasonable price. And they have a new ignition pack, which I suggest that you check out. It's priced for the beginner, but they're made for the professional. And this ignition pack really inspires you to start your engines. Check them out today at dreamsymbols.com. Now, before I get into this interview, I have one announcement that I'm stoked to to bring to you guys. Uh, in Starting in 2016, I launched Merge Media Network. And what it is, it's quality content from artists, creators, and doers. And right now, the initial rollout is three drumming podcasts. So it's Drummer's Resource Podcast, uh, Working Drummer Podcast, which has already been around, but they're coming under the Merge Media umbrella. And then Daniel Glass is actually launching a podcast under the network as well. So they're all available now. So obviously, Drummer's Resource Podcast, but check out workingdrummer.net or danielglass.com, and you can subscribe to all of those podcasts uh, right there in iTunes or on Stitcher or wherever you listen to them, or you can listen to them directly on their sites, danielglass.com, workingdrummer.net. So there's going to be more podcasts that are coming out uh, on the network that are going to deal with other topics like business and entrepreneurship and and self-development and and a bunch of different things. So uh, so check it out. It's Merge Media Network and the three podcasts now are Drummer's Resource, Working Drummer, and Daniel Glass. So uh, hope you hope you dig into some of that stuff. Now let's get into this interview. The interview I have today is Luis Conte, and Luis is... As far as I'm concerned, one of the baddest cats out there when it comes to percussion. I mean, he has played with everyone. I could go through the list, but that would take me an hour. So just a few. I mean, he's he's played. He just got off tour with James Taylor. He was just recording with Dave Matthews. Uh, I mean, he has been he's been at the top, top, top. Uh, of the of the percussion game for years and years and years. So and his story is really interesting. He talks about leaving Cuba. Uh, he was a refugee from Cuba and coming into the United States and then starting to play and then getting gigs and he couldn't tour because he was still a Cuban refugee and everything. So this this is a really, really interesting uh, conversation that we have. So I hope you enjoy it and let's get right into it with Luis Cante. 
Luis, what's going on? Thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Hey, Nick. Everything's okay, man. Good. I'm glad we. I'm glad we got to to connect on this, man. And uh, we're gonna be we're gonna be neighbors. Well, we're gonna be I guess pseudo neighbors because I don't know exactly where I'm moving to the LA area yet. But we will uh, we will be pseudo neighbors soon. So <laughs> come on over, man. It's uh, pretty nice out here right now. I know you're in you're in the East Coast and it's unseasonably warm, but it's really nice here all the time. So. Yeah, yeah, it's uh I think it's gonna be seventy for Christmas, which is you know, is really warm yeah. for, for here. So normal for you guys, but definitely warm from here. Yeah. So I always like to get the backstory on on the guests that I have, and I know there's a, a ton of information that that is out there on you, but for the listeners who, who are just getting hip to you right now by listening to the podcast, just give a little brief history of who you are and what you do. Uh well I'm a I'm a percussionist. And uh, I've lived in L.A. for a long, long time, but I was born in Cuba, and I was in Cuba until I was 15 years old, and then I came out to L.A. I actually grew up in Hollywood, and um, and that's the story. I mean, I just been here, all became a musician, and I've been playing percussion with a bunch of people forever. So I I read and and I don't know if uh, if this was true or not, but did did you go to Europe when you left Cuba? Did you go to Europe for a little while and then go to Hollywood? Yeah, but you know I was I was uh, literally what fourteen years old, eleven months and two weeks. So I mean I was almost fifteen. So right. I was just a kid and I was on my own. I was being taken care of. I was a refugee, and uh, that's a whole other story there. So I. When you talk to other people and say, oh, yeah, you went to Europe first and then you went to the States, it's like, I wasn't playing music. I was just a kid. <laughs> right, right. So, but I'm inter- then, uh, I'm interested in, in that story, though, um, about yeah. about leaving Cuba and, and the reasons why you left Cuba and how you ended up in Hollywood. Because to me, that's that's interesting because that's an integral part of, of you and your story. Yeah, yeah. So so what happened is, you know, there was um, – back in the, in the day, there was a – well, the thing is still happening down there. There was a military age, and the military age was 15 years old, and – my dad would have none of none of this, you know. My parents is you're not gonna go in the army at 15, and this is communism and this whole thing, you know, no human rights, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And and uh, so they, my dad was a doctor, so when they applied to leave, the only one that could get out was me. And they made the sacrifice, and they sent me out. Now there were only the freedom flights were only going either to Spain or to Mexico once a once a week. So you just signed up and you went to wherever your number, whenever your number came up, wherever that's, where that's, you went. that's where you went. So I went to, uh, my flight was to Spain and I went to Madrid and there I was picked up by some Jesuits priests who were part of this Catholic, uh, refugee committee that were just helping Cuban refugees escaping from Cuba, you know, leaving from Cuba. Right. And, uh, I stayed there for about. I was there about for almost four months till I got all my papers and everything straight to come to L.A. And the reason why I came to L.A. and, and it was actually Hollywood because uh, there was a cousin of my father that lived in in Hollywood, and ah. so he took me in. He was my sponsor, so he was I was able to come over here and, and live with him until my parents came, like a whole seven years later or something. Hmm. So now yeah. was this this were you being allowed to leave Cuba? Was that part of i mean the cuban government wasn't running that right oh the cuban government runs everything the cuban but, uh, government it's surprising to me that they let people leave if it's if it's that locked down and they and they want you to to enter the army and things 
Right. It was that. It was. It was. I was very lucky, man. Hmm. Very lucky. That's interesting. That yeah, it's- and you know, there's a whole bunch of guys. And look, one of my best friends. You know, I left just before 15, so I was in junior high school down there. One of my best friends from junior high school. I'm still in touch with him. This guy was not able to go. He he missed his, his deadline of his. He wanted to leave also. Mm-hmm. His parents wanted to send him out. He missed the deadline, and so he stayed there. And he ended up having to swim out of Cuba. Wow. A few years. Wow. So there's crazy stories, you know. That's nuts. Things are selling. They're settling down a little more now. Hopefully, with all this new stuff. So I hope. Right. I was going to say now it's it's actually possible for for us, you know, as as United States citizens to go down there and everything, which is which is great. So hopefully that's uh, it's turning the corner. Yeah, I hope so. It's interesting. And not to, you know, I don't want to get too, too into the political. It's just interesting because one, it's part of your story and all of the stuff that's going on right now with the, with the uh, refugees from Syria and everything. It's just, it's just interesting. So when you landed in LA, so you were about, you know, you're 15, you get to LA and you were a guitar player in the beginning, right? You weren't a percussion player. I played, I played, yeah. You know, um, let me just say before I answer that question, you know, when you were down there, it's like in, in those days, if, let's say if I wanted to listen to the Beatles, I had to like go into like a little room with a couple of my friends and somebody had a 45 or can't buy me love or whatever and play it real soft. Cause if you got caught listening to the Beatles, you went to jail. What? That shit was, yeah. I mean, you, people don't know anything about this stuff. The way that stuff was, you know, it was, it was against the law. Rock and roll. People go to jail for having long hair. It's like it's just like the way the Soviet Union was before the wall went down. If you if you hear the stories about people and the Beatles and all that stuff, right, right, right. But anyway, so to continue the your question, uh, yeah. Well, when I was like I think eleven, I told my dad I want to play guitar because I'm from Santiago de Cuba, which is the southeast part of the island. And man, there's it's, that's the land of the troubadours, man. There's so many troubadours and so much guitar playing and singing and songs and. The roots of salsa comes from that part of that the island, you know, comes from the Son Montuno and all this stuff, and that's played with guitars. So the guitars are big. I didn't realize it until I went back that no wonder I love the guitar. The guitar is, I mean, <laughs> it's such a big part of the thing. But then the other part is the percussion. So that was, I was neither a guitar player or a percussionist. I just had a guitar and I played it, and I have bongos, guiro, maraga, clave. Congas, I had all that in my house. And, you know, my father played it for fun. My uncle played it for fun. I played it for fun. Mm-hmm. I played the guitar for fun. You know, it was all for fun. What, what kind of guitar style do they play in Cuba? Well, they play, have uh, you heard, uh, well, to make it simple and really like, I mean, it's, I'm globalizing it, but like, you, you heard uh, uh, Buena Vista Social Club? Sure, sure, sure. Okay, that style of music. Okay. That's playing guitars. I know there's a pian- there's piano in that band. Mm-hmm. Those songs, Chang Chang, and all those songs are written with the guitar and played on the guitar. Right, because it seems to me that it's more of it feels more percussive than just regular guitar playing, and that's why I asked. You know, like yeah, well, there's a r- the rhythm parts, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's rhythm part. There's another guitar also called the tres, which is not what I was playing. It's a different. It's a guitar with two string, two se- three sets of two. It's like a twelve string, but it's only six strings. Oh, okay. And it's okay. tuned in open G, and that's the one that plays a lot of. Plays all those rhythm things. Right. 
you, you know. still play guitar now? Yeah. Yeah? There's a guitar right there. That's what you're going to see Oh, yeah. Go on with the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, um, so when once you got to L.A., um, at that point, were you playing percussion at all, or were you, were you still just playing guitar? I was, well, when I first got to it, I was doing neither one. Oh, okay. <laughs> I had nothing. I came out of there with a bag that weighed 20 pounds. They weighed your clothes. My mom made me a duffel bag. Or my aunts, they sewed up a, out of cloth. And the, you could go up with 25 pounds. Hmm. And you left the country and you never, hang on a second, you, want, you going? Mike. Um, you left the country with 25 pounds of whatever you took. And that's it. You know, there's no room for a guitar, there's no room for bongos, there's no room, it's just for like a little bit of clothes. And, and you're on your own, man. You're going out there. No, you couldn't. No phone calls. No letters. You couldn't. I couldn't. Like, okay, I got to Spain. Uh, can I call my dad and tell him I made it? Right. That's, that doesn't exist. Wow. It's, wow. it's a whole other world. So, yeah. uh, you know, I came with nothing. So and so then I stayed over the, at my cousin's house. And the one thing they were like really nice people. They weren't like, like my family, my mom and dad, and my sister, my close family totally musical and into music and music was at the house. The radio was blasting all the time and the records were on and, you know, music. Right. <laughs> Troubadours would come to my house and play and hang out with my dad. Even though he was a doctor, he would have been a musician because he loved to play and sing. So, you know, I, I, I got to this other place and I mean, it was like a whole other new world. I don't speak the language. There's no music. They never even turn on the radio, you know. <laughs> So my first couple of years, it was kind of like, I was, I was kind of detached. My connection was, you know what I used to do, man? I used to go, there used to be a place called Wallace Music City. And it was in the corner of Hollywood, of uh, Sunset and Vine, famous intersection, Sunset and Vine. And they, that was a, a store where they sold records. And they also sold musical instruments on one corner over there. But the, it was like, uh, they had listening stations. So that's how I listened to music. I would get out of high school. I, would not, I went to Hollywood High School. I would get out of high school, walk down Sunset, go down to the corner of Sunset and Vine, go in there, grab three LPs that you wanted to listen to, sit in the listening station, you know, pretend you're going to buy them, right. and check it out, and then put them back, because I didn't have any money. <laughs> right. So that's how I detached it. It took me a little while for... Then I met some guys in, in, in high school, you know, and that's actually how I got to the percussion thing, because I was already, I mean, the percussion thing for me was, I, I mean, I, I played by osmosis, man. I was just there. It was right. so much when I was there as a kid, and I was exposed to all the different styles. There's so many styles of playing and, and forms of, you know, bata playing and rumba and carnival and, you know, song. And there's all these different styles of I was exposed to all of that while I was a kid, while I was a kid, not even knowing it, and hanging out at home. You know, when my family's friends would come, I'd play a little clave, I'd play some bongos, you know, whatever, you know. But it wasn't to; it was just what you did, you right? Know, like of life, you know. And then when I met some guys in high school, we started a little band. I was playing the guitar in the band, and then there was some parts to some songs that, that had congas. So, hey, I can do that. Oh, yeah, I can. Yeah. So, mom, one of the moms bought a conga. 
And here we got a conga, and I play rhythm. Now I play rhythm guitar and conga. And I'm going, wait a minute. I like to do this. This is, I kind of like this better. <laughs> this <is so> fun. <laughs> and that's that's what happened, you know. Right. And then I then I just focused and right right through high school. I mean, I I just played with that band around. You know, we played at school parties and and stuff like that. And and it wasn't right when I when I finished high school when I graduated is when I went. Okay, I gotta figure something to do here. Mm-hmm. I said, well, those congas feel pretty good. I think I'm going to do that. Is that when you were, when you graduated, were you, was that when you made a decision? Like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try this as a career. I uh, sure. Not, not exactly right then. Right. Exactly. Right. Then I, I, I was still fine. Trying to find my way. I, I remember I, um, what do you call it? Enrolled for, um, at Los Angeles City College, is a city college here, mm-hmm. and I took. It's, it was weird. I was like, kind of like, if I tell you my classes, you kind of go, "Man, you were like trying to decide what." So, okay, one of my classes was anatomy. I know because I was, and I had to take another class that was um, beginning for becoming an X-ray tech. Okay, right. And then, <laughs> X-ray technician. I had anatomy and the X-ray technician thing, but then I had beginning piano, musicianship one. And, you know, history, you know what I mean? So it's like, a, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to find out what the hell I'm going to do, you know? <laughs> right. And if you don't know, you got to try all these things out, you know? <laughs> yeah, so, I, so it took me a bit. Like, the, I remember that. So I, I got to the first semester of that X-ray thing, and I signed up for the second semester, man. The second semester, I, you know, I, the first day, I sat in the front of the class. <laughs> the next day, I went one row back. <laughs> one row. By the by the by. By the fifth, you know, by the third week or whatever, I was in the back of the thing, like drawing and shit. I don't even care. About and I was, you know, thinking, so, I hope, I hope the guy doesn't call on me because I don't know the. You know what I'm saying? Exactly, man. So you know, it's like I finally just dropped out, and then I started getting gigs. You know, I, you know, my my thing, man, in in the drum itself, it was so natural. For example, for the conga drum, the very first time, like. Now when I was a kid, I must have done it when I was a boy, but now that I'm, that I'm in the United States and I'm on my own, I'm like, whatever, 18, 19, you grab a hold of the conga or wherever it was, 17 or whatever, and I play, I play tumbao. And if, if you are, look at how the way I did it then, nobody ever taught me that. I just oh, really? Did. You just? Yeah, I was never taught. You think it was from watching people when you were a kid? Maybe you just didn't realize it. Maybe that probably. But I just went so then you start like getting serious about about this stuff, and you start going, "Well, how to bow? Yeah, what? Oh, well, that's oh, really? That's how you do? Well, that's how I do it." (laughs) Okay, cool. (laughs) Well, I got that figured out. What's next? Next. (laughs) So, did you have? I, I mean, did you have a a? a strict practice routine or, or specific things that you practice. Cause I, I love, I love hearing cause some people are, are sort of, you know, very regimented with their practice and other people are sort of like, no, I just learned, you know, as I went and learned on the gig. So what was, what was your practice routine like? No, my, my thing was, I'm not a, I've never really been like a big, big time practicer, you mm-hmm. know, practicing guy, but I did practice a lot. Okay. But it's not like my favorite thing to do. You know what I'm saying? Right, Some right. people just love it. I know a fellow that just arrived from Cuba, actually, young, young, hot, 
Timbalet, drummer, timbal player, I mean, killing. His name is Daniel Rodriguez. And he's been over here a couple of times, and this guy chops up that. And, man, how, how did you figure that? I says, man, you know, I love to practice. I mean, mm. I love to have four hours and just go, you know what I mean? I was never that guy. Me neither. Right. I but always tell I, myself that I'm going to be that guy. Right. And then I just never be. Because, I mean, I practice and I always have, but like I've never been like a, well, in college, I don't know. I've, I did like the, the six hour practice thing, you know, in college and everything, but I don't know how much practice are you getting in, in six hours? Really? You know, you're like, you practice for a little bit and then you go do this thing and then you go outside and I, like I smoked at the time. So I go have a cigarette and then I come back in. It's like six hours. You're only getting an hour of real practice. <laughs> exactly. And you stop on this and you get, yeah. But you know, my, the, the thing with percussion though, in, in, in my case, I think what I did, if you want to look, think of that as practice also it's like because percussion has so many different instruments mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you, and that's well, why I was asking about practice because there's so yeah. many things right then you gotta become first of all you gotta become a little bit of a, kind of like a historian and a geographic expert you know because tabla where the hell does that come from tabla what is that oh a tabla you know mm-hmm. oh India where is India what part of India well in Madras they play this way in New Delhi they play this way you know what I mean it's 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 just immense what you can – the Congress, forget about it. You know, if you get just into the Cuban thing, you spend a lifetime just in Cuba. You know what I mean? Right. So there's so right. much stuff. So I was trying to figure out – I mean, I, I did a lot of uh, – I spent a lot of time – I remember seeing Ayrto. I don't know. You know who that is? Ayrto Moreno? No. no. He's, he's one of the greats. You know, he's an older generation. One of the great – he played with Marcos. Ayrto? Ayrto. A-I-R-T-O. And I remember seeing him, I think it was with Miles or Chick. I saw something. I forget who he was playing with, but this guy had this tambourine. that looked like a tambourine, but it didn't sound like a tambourine. And it said Pandeiro. It said mm-hmm. Brazilian Pandeiro. I found out later, you know. So, you see, that's where, I, that's where the spot I was in. I was really young. I'm a sponge, trying to just finding everything. And whatever I saw, so I saw that guy. I said, what is that? He says, oh, that's a Pandeiro. What's a Pandeiro? It's from Brazil. Oh, he's from Brazil. Really? Well, how do you play that thing? Where do you get one of those? You know, that's how mm-hmm. I was spending time. And then uh, the Pandeiro, I did have, to, I asked uh, a couple of guys, Ron Powell, who lives in LA, great Pandeiro player. He kind of like, yeah, it goes this way, man. Thumb, hit, tip, heel, tip, go this way. And then there was no YouTube in those days. You right. know, you just. So that's kind of how I spent most of my time. Like, it's so many different things, right? So. Ron actually said, man, you know, when I practice, what I do, now he was a big practicing guy. He said, you know, I'll take, I'll take a day. So I'll say, I'll take four hours and out of the four hours I'll take, okay, this week I'm going to work on the Pandeiro. So every day I play three hours Pandeiro. The last hour I don't play Pandeiro. I do whatever I want to do for fun, whatever, play timbal, whatever, shaker, whatever, just practice just for another hour. And it's, and then the next week, uh, maybe pick up a betting bow. Okay, work on the betting bow. Practice a bit. So I I followed his advice, and I did it, but not that uh, strict. You know what I mean? Right. I just kind of like, okay, this week is going to be Pandero, so I'll play the Pandero, you know, maybe, I don't know, half an hour. <laughs> right. I don't know. And then listen to some music, listen to some guys playing. You know, back in the day, those days, there was no YouTube or any of that stuff. So you couldn't really, now it would be a lot easier. Mm-hmm. 
And that's how I did it, you know, just and then playing gigs and, and, and listening to uh, my lessons. My teachers were like advice, you know, sure. you know, in, 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 in the Afro, my first the first music I played in L.A., you know, as, as a musician making a dollar was playing Cuban music, playing salsa. So I would get advice. I, I was lucky to get into this band with um, Orlando Lopez. What's his name? Masacote. Spelled M-A-Z-A. C-O-T-E. Masacote. That was his nickname. He was an older dude who played great congas. And he had been a professional player in Cuba. But he's also sang. And he had a very successful band. You know, local band that would play like the weekends. and All Cuban dudes and Puerto Ricans and hardcore cats. And I was just 18. You know. So these guys were like hammering me. The bongo player was like, okay, man, you know, you got to get your slap, you know, work on your slap, more mm-hmm. slap. You know, I was saying, uh, the Masakote would go like, hey, if I want a solo, I, if you want a solo, I'll give you a solo. Play time, you know? Right. You know, shit like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I was going to school, you know? Yeah. The other guy, hey, you know, you sit back. Trumpet, there was this trumpet player that would, that would tell me, man, you listen, when we play, we we sit on the two and the two you're playing the two with your left hand this is cuban dudes right. you know the slap so we gotta we gotta hear that that's how so just so you know that's how we sit i said wow so that's my school you know i'm mm-hmm. sorry baptism yeah. by fire yeah that's the way to look. <laughs> well you know i think the the thing that i ran into for years was figuring out the all the characteristics of all of these styles of percussion, but then also making sure that you're playing it authentically. You know, like you, when you start when you start learning sauce and then you start you know taking the clave and you're moving it different places and you're playing two three or three two or rumba or son or something like that. And you know, it's a lot of it sounds the same, but there's small intricacies that are different. Uh, so you don't want to you know you don't want to be playing two three when everybody else is playing three two. Right, you know, um, exactly. So, what's what is your advice for for people to to sort of start diving into these authentic rhythms to start to learn? Because it is it's overwhelming, and I'll say it from someone from the outside who's not as well versed uh, as I should be in in all of this music. Um, what's your what's your advice for for people who really want to learn more about it, though? Yeah, well, you know, whatever world it is you're going to get into, you know, I mean, you're talking, what you're mentioning right now is, because you mentioned clave and all that, is stick to the Afro-Cuban world. And, but, you know, if if we were talking to someone that wants to get into tablas, you know, they have mm-hmm. to, it's the same kind of thing. This, I'm sure it's, I never really got into it too heavy, so I'm sure it's like overwhelming the history and the, the whole bit about it, you know, and the things, you know, the Tihais and all those things they play. So... My advice is like, I mean, you gotta, you gotta immerse yourself into the thing. If you want to get into, if you're going to study Afro-Cuban drumming, it starts with the clave, of course. Mm -hmm. And you gotta really like, you, you know, you have to even eat the food, man. You know, I mean, go to a Cuban restaurant and get some Cuban food. I mean, it's all part of the thing. I was talking with Alfredo Reyes Sr. He goes, hey man, you know, the thing is, it's not just those guys down there. It's not just like they play great and, you know, and they're playing the Cuban thing because they're from, you know, but they're like, they talk in the language, mm-hmm. the, the, the right accent, they're eating the right food, you know, it's, it's, it's the right climate. It's a whole, you know, thing. So right. you got to create yourself a little, 
you know, Afro-Cuban around your house, around your world. Right. It's you, amazing that you say that because when I, so m- most of my family lives in Italy and I speak Italian, and but I only speak it, you know, most when I'm in Italy, like my, you know, everybody else, my brothers and sisters, my parents, everything, we all speak English. So when I'm here and I call one of my cousins, my Italian is horrible. As soon as I go to Italy and I'm sitting around the table and I'm drinking wine and I'm eating Italian food and I'm hanging out, it's like, it's, it's all right there. You know, it, it just, it's like, because you're totally immersed in it, you know, and, and you, it just, it just seems a lot more effortless. Right. And, and, you know, it, it can be done. You can do it, man. I mean, you can, I mean, there's guys here. There's a there's a young man, player here named Will Phillips. He's a fantastic Brazilian percussionist. He's an American cat. I'm, I'm I'm not even sure what part of the U.S. he's from. He lives here in L.A. And this guy hangs with the best of the Brazilian players. You know, he's you know, but he immerses himself, and he's gone down to Brazil. Mm-hmm. Even, even that, you know, he's done that. He's done, and he's really got got into that. You know, and, and so you you have to just go 100 percent into that world now if you're going to be a percussionist we go back to the previous question so okay so maybe you got to be a hundred percent if you want to be into cuba for this week next week be a hundred percent into brazil the week after that go to uh senegal or whatever you know right i don't know how but you whatever it is you're going to get into you gotta the baron you know the irish baron i went to ireland and you know i've seen people that play the baron but then i met a punk bill Paul Vignoles and a couple of these guys that are great players. And, um, you know, I realized, oh, my God, look at this thing. This is a whole other world. So, you know, you spend time with this instrument that is totally foreign to me. I got some music. A couple of my friends gave me a couple of books that I can look up into. And I can play a little bit of the baron. I can't hang with the masters. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I can cover a little bit, you know. Yeah, I guess it's just, you know, it's it's just like learning anything else, jazz, funk, you know, all that stuff. You got to do your, you got to do your homework. I, I think it's just such a, a foreign thing because that it's a lot of it isn't, isn't uh natural for, for the United States. So it's this like fear of the unknown sort of thing where, and it's, it's tough to digest. And I love, I love all the percussive music, but it's just, it's hard to get into it all because there's so many, like you said, there's so many different variations. And like in Cuba, you could be there your whole entire lifetime just learning that stuff. Oh man, there's so, yeah, there's just so much, st- so many different styles like inside the island, you know, it's just, mm-hmm. uh, so, so, but you know, ear training, man, listening does a lot, you know, and just listening a lot. You have to listen to the clave and listen to how all that stuff happens. You got to get to the Afro-Cuban thing. You have to get to a point where you don't listen to the clave anymore. You don't even know where the clave is anymore because it's in your heart. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like it's, ta- it's like it's tattooed in you or something. Right. So right. it's like you, like I, you don't think about it. You, you know, it's, you know where it is. It's just, if we put on, uh, I feel good by James Brown, you know where the two and four is going to be. Right. Right. You don't have to go one, two, okay, one, two, two, no, you don't, you just know where it is. What is the, that's, it's just, it's a lot harder with the clave because it's not that simple, you know, I said two and four. But it's the same kind of thing is where you just know where it is. Mm-hmm. It's funny because if you go to, if you go to other countries and you watch them play two, four music, it feels weird you know it feels like it feels like somebody here trying to play two three that doesn't really have a a good hold on it 
Right. You know, it's right. sort of like they're counting it. They're going one, two, three. Oh, where's the four? Okay. Where's eight? Where? I forget where, you know, they don't feel it because it's not, they weren't born with it. They didn't grow up playing it. That's exactly right. So how, I think, how do you get to where you get it happening really authentic where you either go to the place and immerse yourself like that or if you're not able to go to the place, you know, you just got to listen all the time, ear training, ask questions, get, get yourself around the environment. You know, you can be in L.A. and be in a total Cuban environment if you want to. There, there, there are guys here that you can literally, you know, if you just want to do that, you can hang out with those cats. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In New York, tons of guys. You know, there's places you can you can find it. You know. So I'm going to ask a couple questions about. I, a lot of times you're you're playing with drummers, so you it's it's the two of you working together. Uh, so two questions for you: one, what are some of the the your favorite drummers to play with, and two, what makes them so good to play with? Because a lot of my listeners are are. are drum set players, but also they have to play with percussionists as well. And I'm going to sort of get your opinion on how the drummer and the percussionist work well together on stage. Yeah. So what's, what's the first question though? What's who were some of the, who were some of your favorite drummers to play with? Yeah. Well, man, you know, um, you're talking about drum set players, right? Traps. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's lots of guys, that I've that I've I've been really blessed that I've played with the greats, man. You know, I mean, of the around LA and stuff like that. Jeff Bocaro, you know, was one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. But he's not around anymore, unfortunately. Another guy that's not around anymore that was one of my favorites was Carlos Vega. Yeah. Have you ever heard of Carlos? Yeah, Carlos absolutely. was fantastic. But the guys that are here, you know, I mean, I played Vinny Caliuda, John Robinson. In New York, Steve Jordan is one of my favorite guys to play with. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, you know, man, I'm going a blank now, but I just mentioned some great names there. Yeah. That should be, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of great players, man. The thing is, you know, a great drummer, you know, if, if you're playing with a good percussionist, you, what you guys are doing, you're both doing this, you're listening to each other, you know. Right. That's the main thing to be able to listen, and I I see myself. If, if that's a continuation to your question, on how to get along playing with these drummers is I see myself as like if I, let's say I was playing with Jeff or with Jr. at a at a, at a session or something or, or a live gig. This is not an Afro-Cuban song, and this is not Brazilian or Indian or this is American music. So in this case, in this type of band. The foundation is the drum set player. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, the tiles and the lights and the, the roof, the color of the wall and all that stuff. So that's how I look at the stuff. So I'm, I'm like, or if, if I was a cook, you know, I mean, the foundation is, you know, the potatoes and the thing to make the big old soup. And then I, I'm like, you know, the salt and the paprika and the other stuff. So I'm just adding to what these guys are laying down, I'm, I'm kind of sort of painting around their thing. So I stay in a way from where I'm not supposed to paint <laughs> or when they're supposed to be, you know what I mean? Sure. And, and if there's a hole there, okay, maybe I can fill that hole, but maybe it's good that that hole's open, maybe, mm-hmm. you know. So that's how you can get along and play with, it, with any drummer if you think about it that way. And yeah. then on the same time, if you have, if you mention one of these guys like Vinny or, I mean, you, you know Vinny's chops. Vinny's, 
Vinny can play in a way where like nobody else can play. There yeah. couldn't be any room. But Vinny's a great musician. So okay, if he's playing maybe he's playing on a certain gig where he's just he he that's the thing, the call to do that. He can definitely do that. But if we're doing I've done I've done country records with with Vinny. You know, I've done right. movies, right. you know, uh pop records, you know, where you're playing simple and that's a great musician. You play what the music needs. Mm-hmm. And how, I mean, how did you, how did you end up getting all of these big gigs? How did you, how did you be the, the guy? I mean, you are, you're the guy, you know, you're the guy that everybody calls. Well, I'm one of the guys. Thank God. One of the guys, but, um, I'm not the only guy, but I wish I really could tell you how, man, because there's no, the, the, I mean, the formula is I worked on my craft I was true to myself. I was trying to be a nice guy. I didn't cut any corners. I didn't backstab anybody. I didn't do anything funky. I didn't. I was responsible. I didn't do drugs. I didn't show up drunk to a gig. I didn't get drunk on the gig. I didn't leave early. I didn't get mad at the other guy in the band. You know. And, you know. There's a whole bunch of stuff, but I don't know how. Uh, it, it it just. I mean, look. My first gig that I went, um, I mean, gig that was, you know, a, a band that you would have heard the song, the song on the radio, it was mm-hmm. was the Hughes Corporation. It was a song called Rock the Boat. That's probably in, information's out there. Rock the Boat, don't rock the boat. That's all. Yeah. So, man, how did you get that gig? So guys would be going, oh, what, did you like audition? Uh, did you um, look at Billboard and see who was like, those are notices? Or did you go to the union and... I got that gig. I was, I had graduated from high school. I'm hanging out. I'm, I'm realizing now, okay, I want to play. You know, we already talked about all that stuff. And I started going, well, I went to this one club. It was called the Chess Pico down in South Central LA. It was a Cuban, Cuban dudes were playing. I met this one guy. His name is Johnny Chela. I'll never forget it. And I run, literally, a few days later, I run, and I sat in, you know, Hey, man, it's sounds pretty good, man. What's your name? Luis Rogers. Blah, blah. Anyway, I run into this guy a few days later in Hollywood, close uh, across the street from a musician's union at the uh, professional drum shop. When you move out here, you'll see there's a pro drum shop right across. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, it's on, uh, what's on, Sunset? It's on, no, it's on Vine and between Santa Monica and Melrose. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this guy, Johnny, goes, hey, Luis, hey, man, Luis, right? Hey, check it out, man. There was just these people. Uh, they were looking for somebody to play congas. They said they have a hit record. <laughs> that's how I got. There you go. So, You're like, hey, I could do it. I said, really? He says, yeah, man. Well, if you want, listen, I'm not, I'm not into the traveling thing and all that stuff anymore. You know, he's an old cat. He says, uh, but he's, he's a, they gave me the number. So I go to a pay phone. Hey, man. Uh, this is Luis. Are you guys looking for a percussion player? Yeah, yeah. Where are you? I says, oh, I'm in Hollywood. I says, well, we're we're playing right now. Come on down. Okay. <laughs> I didn't have a car. In L.A., if you don't have a car, you'll find out you're dead. Right. Yeah. So I, man, call a friend. Luckily, I had a whole, got a hold of a friend of mine. He came by. He picked up my, I had two congas, raggedy-ass congas. Got my congas, went over there, south, down in South Central, got out. They were playing. I played. They were just playing tunes. I just walked in, say hello. I got my congas. I started playing. 
And then I got the gig. I said, hey, we're going to New York. We're going to play at a, the Apollo Theater. So just like that. So That's insane. Let's say that was this week. Next week, I was at the Apollo Theater. <laughs> and then, you know, that song was big. Yeah. It was a huge hit. So we played, uh, all, did all the Soul Train, uh, Don Kirshner in concert, ABC in concert, the Midnight Special. This was all the all time in the 70s, the big, big music shows. Uh, American Bandstand. You know, I was like, I went from like, Getting out of high school, hanging out with a couple of guys, started playing a little club, making 20 bucks to like, wow, I'm on TV. <laughs> I was so lucky, so blessed, man. That's awesome. Well, you deserve it because of all the, the hard work that you put into it and the person you are, too. The, you well, know, thank like you, you, man. Said, the, the humility and, and not showing up drunk and, and not backstabbing people and because it's easy to do in this industry. So I, I applaud you for that. So. Yeah, man, you know what? I, I had an advice from my dad. My dad always said in Spanish, aquí lo que hay es el bien, which means you have to be, caer uh, bien means you have to show up, fall in the right way and be pleasant. You know, so you have, just be a nice guy. Be mm -hmm. a nice guy. You know, don't don't be a jerk. You know, you're right, the only right. one that's going to lose, you know. Exactly. So anyway, exactly. that, yeah, so, so that gig... I went all over the all over the country and Canada. It was so early that I that I actually I was still a Cuban refugee and I couldn't I couldn't travel to Europe yet. I had to get my papers. So I, when they went to Europe, I couldn't travel in Europe. That's how long ago it was. Oh, really? Yeah. What year was that? Seventy four, seventy five. Seventy. Yeah. That's amazing, man. That's just that's just a crazy story of how how you got the gig, and I'm sure that that was, you know amazing in itself and then what you've done since then i mean are there any are there any things that that really stick out to you that are that are sort of crowning achievements or or extremely memorable parts of what you've done so far and i know you have a lot uh, is but is there anything that really sticks out as like man that was that was one of the highlights of my career well i, I don't know there's been a bunch of stuff i can't think of something but i tell you i'll tell you something that that's a highlight, but it's, it's because it was such a challenge. Um, and this was, um, it was the actual first time I ever really played a drum set in front of a lot of, a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And it was with Phil Collins at the Royal Albert Hall. Wow. Yeah. That's a big, it's a big place. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and if you want to hear how the story goes, you know, I have a, a drum set and I, I play little drums. I, I like it. I've just never been a, I've never been great with my feet. I never want to use my feet. Mm -hmm. That's why I never got into the drums that much. But I have a set and I play, you know, left-handed. And I've done, I did a wedding once on drums. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> a wedding so, and Royal Albert <laughs> Yeah, from I played drums at the wedding, and then I played the Royal Albert Hall. <laughs> and and uh, so the story is that Phil uh, Phil puts a big band together, and this is this is nineteen ninety six, and he calls me up, hey man, you know I don't want you to come play percussion, this and that, blah, blah, blah. I never worked with him before, so we go out there to Switzerland to rehearse with a big band. It's it's big band music. It's, it's Phil calling songs being arranged by Sammy Nestico in. Big band style. Cool. Cool. Yeah. And 
first second day of rehearsal, Phil goes by, come walks by me and goes, hey, did you get the tape from Steve? I go, no. He said, what tape is that? He says, well, there's three other songs we got to do, and those are the ones you got to play drums on. <laughs> and, and I went, I didn't say anything. I just walked away and I went, I got to talk to Phil, man. Wait a minute. Hey, Phil, um, did you ask me if I could, I'm all the way out here. Just, did you ask me if I play drums? <laughs> just, well, you play percussion. You can play the drums, right? I go, man, well, I'll give it a try, buddy. But, <laughs> but my only gig was I only play drums at a wedding, man. He says, all right, you can do it. You can do it. Besides, what, do you, what are we going to do then? Send you home? Or who's going to do it? I can't get Chester out here, Chester Thompson. Right. Chester, Chester's right-handed. We, you, you're left-handed. So this is the only way you can do it because I have to go up front and sing three songs and the, the drum set's right there. You just Did he sing. have two drummers at the time? No. No? Okay. No, because that was the big band. Right, right, right. See, the pop band, he has two drums. I would have never had. This is the, 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 the big band. This is yeah. jazz band. So he's the guy, and then when he's gonna, he was going to sing three songs the encores or whatever. Somebody's got to play the drums. It's me. So that's what happened. What, what kind of tunes were they? One was uh, Do It Till You Hear. Uh, don't Do It Till You Hear From Me, which is it's an old jazz tune, but it's, uh, it's a version from the Quincy Jones uh, album. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a funky thing. The other one was I Left My Heart in San Francisco. And the other one was a real soft three in three, very soft ballad called Always. Mm. That was a piece of cake. That one you could just play as just simple. Right. But the other stuff. That was the groove. It's like, man, what a, really? How long did it take you to learn it? I did oh I did fine. I, did, yeah. I just I that night I'm like I hey Steve, I you guys you guys gotta open up the rehearsal room. I gotta go in there and like, listen to the song and <laughs> I gotta okay. shed, man. <laughs> I, yeah, I gotta work it sort of like work it out. You know, I mean, we just rehearsed. You know, I mean, we, we had like three weeks of rehearsal, so it, it worked out. Right. It worked out great. It, it, it became so much fun. It, actually, it ended up being where like a sound checks. I started because Phil would come from a different place. I would start doing the sound check myself. I sit on drums and do it for him. And then he'd show up and then play. And by the, as this tour got on one day, I think we, he, he got on the stage and I was playing and I wouldn't get up. And he goes, you have a lot of fun now, aren't you? You, you, you dig it. <laughs> Don't dig this too much, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, man. So that's, but it was it was crazy. It was uh, when you know you talk about butterflies and stuff like that. That was the one. I don't get no butterflies for anything, but that one, shit, man. We're at, at the concert's going. Quincy Jones is conducting. One of the songs is a duet with Tony Bennett and Phil Collins. You know, I'm not going to lay an egg here, man. <laughs> in the audience, you hope not, anyway. <laughs> yeah. In the audience, there was uh, Princess Di and, and Charles and President Mandela. You wow. Know. Oh, yeah. And then it was broadcasted live on the BBC. Right? <laughs> and this is my first gig on drums. And the drum tech... The only thing that we had to do, we switched stools because Phil sits really high. Mm-hmm. So we had a different stool and a different set of sticks. When the guy, when Brad shows, puts the stool in there and gives me the sticks, he goes, hey, don't forget you're on the BBC, man. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, man. <laughs> so there you go. 
<laughs> don't forget, don't forget the uh, the prince is out there, you know. Oh yeah, the prince is out there too. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> cool. Oh man. So what kind of what do you have going on now? I know you were uh, you were just on tour with James Taylor, right? Yeah, we finished the tour in August, and then we did a couple other things like Austin City Limits and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I mean, I just been working in the studio, man. I cut, I just cut some tracks for uh, the new Dave Matthews Band, the, the next Dave Matthews Band record. Have you ever played live with him? No, no, okay. no. I I recorded, and these were. I was hoping I was gonna record live, but this I was overdubbing. Ah, I overdubbing. Okay. Three, three days overdubbing. It's great. It's gonna be good. Good record. And just doing sessions, you know. I got a studio here in my house, and doing some recordings. You know, just clients, you know, people that want percussion on their songs. Mm-hmm. Last night I did, uh, that's why we had to do this thing late. I was up real late last night. We were at the studio. I worked with this a producer named Chris Johnson, but as a really great artist named Megan Keeney. She's a new artist, but she's, this girl is, it's, it's very, it's not, a, it's a kind of pop world record kind of, mm-hmm. pretty amazing stuff. So I'm having a lot of fun because I'm doing a lot of different it's a lot of different things. And right now I'm starting up a, I'm starting up two records. I'm doing my thing that, which will be like my eighth album, but it's, it's, it takes, it's been taking me, it's been taking me like two years to even get like a couple of other records. I've been like in a minute. This one is like taking quite a while. Why do you think that but, is? Just busy. Huh? I is said, that, why do you think that is just busy? Oh, part of it, yeah, you get disconnected from it because you go on the tour with James and then you come back and then you get busy and and then and then sometimes it just nothing happens. Right. You don't get right. nothing in your head, you know. The muse doesn't come, it doesn't come. It comes whenever it wants to come. <laughs> so either that, but I'm I'm working on that and I'm but I'm working on an album with Pete Lockett. Oh, awesome. Yeah, so we're gonna do like a, a duet. We that's pretty much done. It's uh it's of course it's a lot of percussion. It's a percussion record. Oh, he was just at your house, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. How'd you know? Man, I know everything, man. You, you got, you no. Uh, so he he was, uh, I was out at Drum Channel, and they said that Pete was coming out like the week after me, and then uh, and then I had Pete on the podcast too, and then he showed that, I think he put a picture up that he was at your house or something like that. Yeah. I forget. Yeah. I forget. But I remember seeing that he was. I just remember that right now when you when you brought it up because I was like, oh wait a minute, Pete was just in town, and then yeah, so I put that whole thing together. Yeah, he 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 was out here for a couple of weeks and doing some work, and then it was great because we were able to do some stuff over here, and and then he took he took the tracks with him, and he's been working on some stuff over there, mm-hmm. and now 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 the stuff is like being from from long distance, and then I'm doing you know we talk on Skype and listen and change some things but we're pretty much it's pretty close cool i can't wait cool. to hear it'll when be, it comes out yeah it's, it'll be interesting because it's, it's two completely different worlds i mean i got some really afro cool afro <coughs> cuban things happening and then he comes from another world you know right it's got right. another so it's it takes a minute to get the because you know the tabla when you when the tabla is playing that's the only drum mm-hmm you know, when it's, it's in its context, that's the drum. So it's it's a drum that for it to blend with other drums is sometimes is can be tricky. It gets so a little tricky. Working like that. So we're but it's working out fantastic. For him. And he's awesome. he's playing the, the kanjira. You know that instrument. 
Uh, no. Canita is a little round instrument like this, and it's just, it's, it's like a little, small little tambourine. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, he plays the heck out of that, so it's, we'll be having fun. It's going to be good. Also, when's that expected to come out? I don't know. It's almost done, so next year. Awesome. I'm going to tour. Supposedly, there's a tour with James starting in April for just through the summer, so it'll be either before that or after that. I got you. I got you. Also, you have to keep me posted on that. I'll let the audience know uh, once it comes out to share it with everybody, yep. get them to check it out. So do you teach uh, Do you teach lessons at all? Man, that's great that you asked that because I, f- I forget. I just I, – I have some private guys that come around. Not that often. Like the Muslim, most of them – I don't take like really beginning guys. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there are guys that play or pretty accomplished. So some guys that come around from – Around this time, coming up in January, we have a lot of guys that come from the NAMM show. I get right. quite a few guys right. that come from overseas, and, and they want to take a lesson. I, I have time for that. I, if I'm in town, I'll do it. But then I started uh, teaching a class at Cal State Northridge uh, this past <coughs> semester, right when I got home, last quarter. Um, it's, the lab, it's called the Lab Band, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like a Latin jazz band. So it's a great – you know, we auditioned the guys, eight guys, and it's really fun. Nice, nice. I mean, that is probably so. I mean, for me, I don't know, man. I never really, I've, I've always taught, you know, private guys. Right. And I did teach at Dick Groves once, Dick Groves School of School Music, Music once. Yeah, way back. But this kind of a thing, like teaching these guys, these guys are already playing, and they, they can read the charts and you bring them a chart and we play it and then we do a concert at the end of the quarter and it's just so rewarding. Hmm. I really, really love it. That's awesome. Where, so where are you, where's that at? Uh, Cal, uh, CSUN is uh, Cal State uh, University of Northridge. So it's in the valley here. It's yeah, just yeah. A I was north- thinking, because I was thinking where Indugu is, but he's at... Um, he's at USC. USC, that's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know. I was trying to think if you guys were at the same place, but you're not. So, no, no, this one is up here in the valley. So it's good music school. Yeah, yeah. So you don't do the Skype thing or anything like that for for cats that are overseas or anything. Oh, Skype uh, lessons. Yeah. Some people have asked me, but I've never done it. No. No. But it, so if people want want to check you out while they're in the LA area, uh, they can just go to your website and and get in contact with well, you there. You can actually go to artistworks.com. 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 And I have internet lessons there. And I don't know if you know about Artistworks. It's a company that they have online lessons and it's with video exchange. So it's the only guys that do this. That um, So let's say you take, you know, you, you, you go in there, you pay, you take my lesson, then you can actually... This is the way it was designed. I'm, it's not happening this way with me. It happens with everybody, all the other teachers. <laughs> but because I really don't have the time for the video. Right. But what happens is you, you you sign up, you know, you pay, and then you take lesson number A, B, C, whatever, and then you video yourself, and you go and you send it to me, Mr. Conte. Is this right? And then I go in my studio and I go, well, no, maybe you change the slap, or, you know, help you out like that. Right. So it's like, right. yeah, but we, I, I filmed all the lessons and then we got started on that stuff. 
and I just realized I I, I just didn't have the time mm-hmm. for the video. Right. But the lessons, the lessons are, there, are there, and they're really good, and you can really get a lot, a lot out of it. Awesome. I'll link to that. Uh, every podcast has show notes, so I'll have uh, I'll make sure that that I list all this stuff in the show notes that people can check out, so they can get some lessons from you and and have your you know your your contact info and all that stuff if they want to take some in person lessons when they're out in L.A. Yeah, man, definitely. Uh, the the, uh, the the online lessons of the artist of artist works. It's it's from like the very beginning. From like you buy a drum. Your dad bought you a drum for Christmas. What do I do with this bongo? Right. You know, from there till like, you know, you're like blowing, you know, your butt off. You know? Nice. So right. it's a lot, right. a lot of information. Awesome. I highly recommend people check that out. All right. So I got a, I have a, a personal question I got to ask you. So I'm uh, a, my, my favorite food is Cuban. So uh, what's, uh, what's, what do you, what's your, what's your favorite authentic Cuban dish? Oh man, you know you gotta have that roast pork, man. Yeah, I yeah. like enchiladas de pollo. That's why I asked. Ah, enchiladas de pollo, that's good too. Yeah, with the but, uh, with the tomatillo uh, sauce. But but you know, um, pork is is like I know a lot of people don't like eating pork. I don't eat pork all the time, but I'm gonna have some tomorrow night because that's the like the national meal, right? Christmas, our our Thanksgiving in Cuba. You know, there was no John Smith and Pocahontas, so right. <laughs> um, it's it's Christmas Eve. That's the big family gathering and a big meal and the whole bit mm-hmm. and uh and it's a roast pork that's what we have all right so know. how do you, so how you make it i don't make it but they i go to my sister's house and and my niece's husband has this whole whole they thing, have this whole, thing. oh yeah it's a it's a thing you know they they start they might start tonight right i was gonna say they start you know a month early <laughs> you, know, you know what i mean and and it's like it's called a caja china. They, they you can buy them in Miami or something. It's like this this thing where you they buy the whole pig. It's a whole the pig is laid out like that with a head and everything. That with dirty rice congri. Have you heard congri? Uh, no. It's not like you know when you get the you get the rice and they get the beans separate, right? Yeah. This is together, so it's kind of like a dirty rice. Nice. So it's not wet, and right. it's made with with red beans. So it's called Congri. You go to a Cuban place and ask for Congris. C O N G R I. Yeah, I will. There's a there's a place right down the street from my house called Zafra, which is like my favorite my favorite Cuban place, man. My wife and I eat there like once a week. So where where are you at? I'm in uh, I'm in Hoboken. Oh, okay. Right across from the city, so I'm like right outside of Manhattan. I went to a really good Cuban over there with Mark Quinones. Where at? I don't know. I it mean, in Hoboken or in in in, in Hoboken. I bet you it was Zafra, or it was either Zafra or La Isla. Was it on the main street or back off in the corner? It was on the main street. Uh, probably La Isla. Yeah, probably that. Yeah. I, I couldn't remember. It was a long time ago, but I, I know I went there with him. Yeah, you go in, it has like a little diner style, uh, little... little. Yeah. T- yeah, that's La Isla. That place is really good, too. I eat there a lot, too. Yeah. I didn't realize that the Cuban sandwich didn't start in Cuba. I don't know. What's the story? I, I know. saw the story. They said it originated in Miami. No, really? <laughs> yeah, that's what the story. That's what it said. I was watching. I was watching it on the news. It's possible. Yeah. So. Well, no, I mean, you have to go to pre nineteen fifty nine to remember Cuban food, really, like in Cuba. Because if you go to Cuba now, it's a different thing. But right, I don't know. Maybe you might be right. 
I don't remember when I was a little boy. I'm not like, saying that. I'm saying I watched it on television. So this isn't me saying yeah. that I did my research. Because yeah. I don't want anybody emailing me be like, Nick's out of his mind. I, I just remember know. seeing it in a family. Uh, they have this restaurant in Miami, and they're saying they're, it's the home of the Cuban sandwich, and they invented the Cuban sandwich. Well, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta find out. We gotta, we gotta research it. So, Although, right. <laughs> I tell you what, in Miami though, the Cuban sandwiches are the best. Though. Yeah, that's the thing. You get there's, they closed. There used to be a place called Latin American. It was kind of a not a chain, but there was a few of them. This sandwich was like that thick, man. It was just like, lights, lights. It's like, you know, fantastic. Anyway, the listeners are like, "Is this the Drummer's Resource Podcast or the or the Food Podcast?" The Food Channel. Who's calling me? Well, Luis, I'll uh, I'll let you go. I want to be conscious of your time, and and uh, this has been a great conversation. Though I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me, man. I really, I really do appreciate it. It was a pleasure to to get to know you, and hopefully, I'll see you on the West Coast soon. Yeah, man. Let me know. Let me know when you're coming out this way. I definitely when, will. Uh, yeah, I'll be out there. I'll be out there for a few weeks for uh, for Nam. I'll be in your. I'll be in your area before and after Nam. I'm staying in in, uh, in Camarillo. So. Oh well, let me know when you hit me up. You I got will. my cell phone. I will. Definitely. I, I, should, I, have, I have to go up there and see Don actually. Cool. I always go by see Don Lombardi every once in a while, so maybe yeah. I'll make it. Okay. Sounds like a deal. All right, Nick. Luis, thanks again, man. I appreciate it. All right, my brother. All right. I'll Merry talk. Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, too. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. So there you have it, Luis Conte, and I hope you enjoyed that. For all of the resources and links to the stuff that we talk about, head over to drummersresource.com forward slash session 146 for all the show notes. Also, check out the other podcasts on the Merge Media Network, Daniel Glass's new podcast, which is really cool, and the Working Drummer podcast, which has been out, uh, but now is under the Merge Media umbrella. So definitely check those guys out and leave a rating and review for the Drummers Resource podcast, for Daniel's podcast, and for Working Drummer. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a fantastic 2016. I'll talk to you soon. Peace.